0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Your attention to Matthew chapter 24. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me there. For those that may be visiting with us this morning, this is a a special Sunday that we do periodically, typically every month and a half or so. um, We pause and step back and just reflect on recent uh, sermons and teachings and discussions that we've taken part of as a church. Um, and so we step back and we look at some of the things that we've learned on Sunday mornings. We step back and look at some of the things that we've discussed in our small groups, uh, just as a, a practical way for us to apply things that we've been studying. So um, a lot of times we come in here, we get a ton of information as we look at the Word, and um, we want to make sure that we're we're allowing that to seep into our life. And so this is just a, a moment for us to pause and to reflect. And um, so we do this periodically, um, eat breakfast together, um, just enjoy each other's fellowship, get caught up on things going on in our lives, and then pause to, once again, look at things that we've previously been looking at. So in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, I thought it was appropriate as I was thinking through uh relevant points of application for what we've been studying in, in the life of Noah recently. And the concept of remembering is, is really tied to the story of Noah in the New Testament. So it's very relevant for us. Our application Sundays are all about remembering. So it says in Matthew twenty four thirty six, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only for as were the days of Noah. So will be the coming of the son of man. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house, let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will let him over all his possessions but if that wicked servant says to himself my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth so as jesus is speaking here he's he's talking about um his own second coming and he's tying it to the time of Noah, and we've discussed this point um, at times recently when we've discussed the story of Noah, but I wanted to draw our attention once again to that concept of remembrance. In the New Testament, when Peter and Jesus reference this story, it's tied to remembering certain things. Um, And so I kind of went back and looked through some of the things that we've discussed, and I pulled out some points that me, uh, in teaching these things, desire for you to remember. But I thought we'd start by letting you share some things That you feel like in our study are important, things that you're remembering, things that you feel like maybe are are worth others remembering as well. So I want you to kind of pause for a second and reflect on some of the things that we've learned recently, and then I want to give you an opportunity to share some of the things that have stood out to you over the past five or six weeks um, in in regards to this story, things that maybe you hadn't heard before and, and are... Uh, are worth remembering in your own life because of some significance in the things that we discussed. So take a minute, pause, think through some of the things that we've talked about over the past couple of weeks with Noah. And I want to give you an opportunity to share some of that insight. Because you may you may be remembering some things uh, that I didn't jot down. And so I think it would be helpful for us to share some of the things that really stood out to us over the past couple of weeks. Anybody with any thoughts or insight, things that you feel like are worth remembering from the past couple of weeks? With things that we've learned from God's word, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good it's a good picture of salvation in the sense that Noah is completely trusting his life within that structure that God has designed for him to build. Ultimately, putting his hands in uh, or his life in the hands of of God. Um, it's I think it's significant too to even think about the fact that, you know, the, the whole story points to God and his salvation, even to the point that God does all the talking in the story. You don't really even hear from Noah until after the portion with the ark. I mean, it's, it's all God giving instruction and um, Noah just responding to that. Other thoughts on the past couple of weeks with the story of Noah? right something that i reflected on too when i was looking at that um so god's holiness demands his judgment it demands his justice um and so it's driven and motivated by his holiness but then the concept of discipline that we find in the new testament where where god disciplines his children that's that's driven by his love Um, And sometimes what that looks like may be very similar, judgment and discipline, but the motivations are are coming from two different aspects of who God is. His holiness and his separateness from sin drives his judgment. So God has to respond to sin with justice, but then he also looks at his children and responds uh, because of his love towards them, responds with discipline. And so the Bible talks about the fact that as legitimate children of God, um, that it's a a good thing yet bad thing when discipline comes into our life. Good in the sense that it shows that we are children of God. Uh, bad in the sense that we don't want to be under the discipline of God. Um so so both being motivated by his attributes. Yep. Yeah, the credibility factor is huge from from a man's standpoint a lot of times to put to put his reputation on the line and to potentially sacrifice his credibility if, if it doesn't happen the way that God's communicated to him. would have been a a test of faith for him, for sure. Other thoughts from the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I, I love seeing, and I think it's so good with us going through Genesis, being able to connect all these stories into the bigger story. That's what I love. We read through the Jesus uh, storybook Bible with A.J., and it seems like at the end of every one of those stories that you're so familiar with from from a, from a child, um, it always connects it to the bigger picture that, you know, even when it's talking about Noah, there's a greater Noah that was coming. And all those stories that you read about with your kids, it points you to the bigger story that's being told and how that story just fits in in a small way to tell a bigger story about the, the coming Christ. So, yeah. It's it's hard to believe that we can disconnect ourselves so quickly where we're praying for something or, or anticipating something, and then when it happens and it's for our favor and it turns out good, we're so quick to to not turn to thanksgiving to God for it. Um, we weather some type of storm and come through it, and we're praying the whole time through it, and then we come out on the other side. So oftentimes, we're, like we referenced, the lepers that are healed and then completely go away and don't turn their attention back to Christ and... So, yeah, that, that challenge to to be mindful to worship and thanksgiving as God is evidently working in our life. Anything else that has stood out to you over the past couple of weeks? Yeah, it's a good point about we could do other things, but if we don't build that ark, we're dead. <laughs> so even on days when he got up and was tired, and, and I'd like to do something different. I mean, that, that was looming over him in a way where it would have driven him to... That certainly prioritize that. Anything else that that you'd like to mention? Yeah, it's helpful to see that destructive work that takes place in light of how Scripture reveals why it was necessary when it talks about the the violence and the, the sexual perversion, like what society was becoming was going to be so dangerous for God's people that destruction was necessary to start over, that mankind had gone so so far in the wrong direction. Um, and then even tying it to the fact that the the godly line was in jeopardy, that the hope of a Messiah was in jeopardy if, if God doesn't step in and intervene there. And so definitely his goodness tied to the justice that comes upon man in that setting. All right, let me give you just a handful of things that, that really stood out to me that, that I want you to be mindful of as we um, sort of exit the, the what we remember as the story of Noah. We're not done with Noah. We're going to continue to see how his family lives and reacts in the post-flood world, but kind of closing this chapter on what we typically consider the story of Noah. Uh, first, the story of Noah is miraculously historical. I want you to remember that, moving forward, that it's miraculously historical, historical in the sense that that Christ references it as a, as a, as a story of history. So So it's not a parable, It's not um, a, a legend that, that when Christ references it, when the New Testament writers reference it, it's referenced as a historical event. Um, that's important because uh, the, the the ark and the flood next to creation is probably the next most debated, biblical event when it comes to those that criticize the Old Testament. So you've got creation that's criticized uh, in light of evolution, and then you have the ark and the flood and and what's represented there as a point of criticism. And, And we've seen in the New Testament that the reason there's criticism there is because if it's true that God steps in and intervenes in history and can bring about catastrophic worldwide judgment, what would prevent him from doing it again? The scriptures tell us it will happen again. Those that criticize and debate and want to disprove the story of Noah do so ultimately because they want to disprove the possibility of it happening again. Um, that if God can do it one time, He can certainly do it a second time. For us as believers, that's the hope that He will do it a second time, right? That He will intervene in His goodness and bring justice and, and new life. Um, but, but I think it's important as we move forward because you, you may come into uh, conversation and discussion with someone that wants to doubt the validity of this story. And so it's important as believers that we hold to the fact that it's historical, but that it's also miraculously historical. And so we tried to steer clear of spending too much time proving from a naturalistic standpoint how the flood could have happened, um, because ultimately we have to allow for a, a um, an element of the miraculous to be encompassed into this. And so um, God works in this story. He allows things to happen, some of it from a, from a way that we could explain it potentially. We talked about the dimensions of the ark, um, that it could have held twenty to 40,000 uh, animals the size of a sheep. Um, and so that certainly allows for there to be a great passenger list on that ark. Uh, but ultimately, there's a miraculous element there that allows the animals to come to the ark and to board the ark that Noah doesn't have to spend hundreds and you know hundreds of years trying to gather everything into the ark and so historical miraculous coming together to produce the salvation that happens for Noah and his family. Um, secondly in the passage that we've read this morning from Matthew chapter 24 we are to learn from Noah's story a couple of things that I think Jesus is instructing people to remember When he references this story, first of all, don't be consumed with the ordinary. He references the fact that during the days of Noah, the days that will be like the days when he returns, that everyone was consumed with the ordinary, eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. What you have here is a a people that are so consumed with the now they're oblivious to the bigger picture. Um, and several of you have referenced that that point, that um, what the story of Noah points us to is a greater reality, that, that Christ is coming once again. And so in light of that, we should be living with, with that thought in mind. And so Jesus is challenging his people here. Uh, don't forget the days of Noah. Don't forget that people were oblivious to this and were just consumed with the ordinary mundane things. And it's very easy for us. And that's why in starting Sovereign Hope, we want to constantly... Uh, challenge you to reflect on the fact that Jesus is coming back because if we don't keep that at the forefront of our minds, we'll get consumed with what we have to do this week. We've got job responsibilities, family responsibilities, hobbies, and interests that we enjoy. It's very easy for that noise to drown out what's really going on that Jesus is setting the stage to return for his people. Um, and so, uh, Jesus is reminding people here as he talks about the story of Noah. Uh, Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3, 5 that that many will deliberately forget this story so that they can deliberately ignore the coming story that Jesus is coming back. Um, So don't be consumed with the ordinary. Secondly, be ready constantly by structuring your life for Christ's return. Uh, Be uh, be ready um, constantly. Uh, The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us uh, in verse 42 of Matthew 24, therefore stay awake you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Not to structure your life. So, so Noah had the indication that the floods won't come until the ark is finished. So there was a timetable for Noah. We don't have that advantage. Uh, Jesus may return in our life. He may not. But we're to live in light of the fact that he is coming back. Whether it's today, tomorrow, uh, or a thousand years from now. That we're to structure our life accordingly. Um, and then the last point that I think Jesus is making in this passage. Is that our life now indicates if we're ready for eternity. Um, he references um, an example here of uh, servants, uh, one who does his job knowing that the master could return at any time, the other servant um, allowing uh, a lot of lacks in judgment because he's not confident that his master is returning. And so it allows his behavior to digress, and he's not living in light of the fact that his master is coming back. And so we don't want to be consumed with the ordinary, we don't want to allow our ordinary life to drown out the bigger story that's being told. Uh, we want to be ready constantly by structuring our life for Christ's return. Um, and, and how we do that, how we live our life now indicates if we're ready for eternity. Uh, then the big number three thing that I want you to remember is that we can be comforted from Noah's story. There, there's a lot of comfort that's provided to me here in, in the story of Noah. Because what it reminds us is that God doesn't fail to act. Um, that, that his... His holiness does drive his justice. And so while at times we can we can look around and and, and it seems as though God is absent minded and unconcerned as we hear of Christians being persecuted around the world, as we see uh, the horrific after effects of sinful decisions around us, as we see families being broken, as we see and hear statistics of of abortions in our country, we can look at all this and say, where is god 's justice? When will God step in and act? Um, and as we learned in Second Thessalonians, we 're encouraged and reminded that, that justice is coming, that when Jesus does return, there will be rest for the afflicted, um, there will be new life. For his people there will be judgment in the same way God judged the violence of the Old Testament he will judge the violence that we see around us as well and so there's comfort in this story comfort as we watch the news and read the newspapers and see stories on the internet there's comfort that as we see the evil around us that it's not going to be ignored forever um, that there were thousands of years here potentially um, leading up to the flood where violence had really set in and and perversion had set in. Um, And God did not fail to act. And so we can trust that, once again, God will not fail to act moving forward as well. Uh, Number four, God's judgment is an act of salvation for his people. We've talked this morning already about the goodness of God's judgment here. Ultimately, God is concerned about saving his people. And so he structures the flood in a way where it's proper. And God is so gracious to communicate to us what led up to the flood so that we can see This catastrophic flood experience is not just because God had one single bad day, that it led up to this, that there was violence and perversion that he was addressing, that he was placing warnings about, and and man continued to ignore that. And so it was a proper judgment. Um, We've seen God's goodness in the planning aspect of it um, that God lays out when it will start, how long it will last. And we tied that to our discipline as parents, that, that as, a, as a gracious parent, we communicate our discipline to our children so that our children understand that there's a beginning and an end to the discipline so that they can see a bigger picture, that it's not just me reacting to what you're doing, that there's intent behind it. There's instruction behind the discipline um, that's coming forth. And so God is very gracious in that it's extensive Um, We've seen that the flood uh, wiped out everybody but Noah's family. There wasn't anybody that got missed. There wasn't anyone who escaped. Um, And so we, too, can trust that God, when Christ comes again, uh, his second coming will be extensive. And we've highlighted the graciousness of God's judgment. Uh, Number five, man's righteousness is a work of God based on Christ. I I hope you see that. It's it's been referenced already um, this morning that, that Noah's righteousness is not what saves him. And this is so important for us because when we go to Scripture, we ought to learn more about the gospel because the Bible is about the gospel, and so we should learn more about our salvation. So even when we come to a story of Noah It provides more validity to our own salvation because here's a man, a spiritual giant in our stories that we tell to our children. But as we look into this story from a real historical standpoint, what we find is a man much like us, a man who is becoming what he becomes because of God's grace in his life, um, that he's counted righteous in the same way that Abraham is counted righteous by faith, not by works. And we highlighted the fact it's not that when we get to heaven, all of us, will stand and boast in Christ, but Noah stands over here and boasts in himself because he was a righteous man. That that description, that that indicator there is that he's righteous because of Christ's righteousness, that he's counted righteous, that that God favors him uh, not because of what he had done, but because of what God was making him into. And so that's an important reminder for us um, as believers so that we don't look to the Old Testament and think that it operates differently. Um, that it operates the same way, that our salvation is always based on the work of Christ. Uh, Number six, man's faith oftentimes is shown through what it cost him. Um, Kyle mentioned this this morning, that when you read that hall of faith in Hebrews 11, what you find is time and time again that it cost people something. So we would never say that our salvation costs. We don't pay, we don't earn, we don't deserve our salvation. And yet when we put our faith in Christ, oftentimes it costs us much. Um, or at least it should cost us much as we begin to, to live our life differently in light of what this world is telling us to do, it ought to cost something. It ought to cost um, in the same way that it cost others in, in, in God's story. When they put their faith and trust in God, it, it inevitably led to some type of sacrifice that, that, that um, came about in their life. Um, and so my challenge to you not to to go out and try to generate and create loss in your life, but also not to fail to miss those opportunities. You know, and we specifically talked about here within our church, we desire to be a church planting church, which means we desire to send people out of this church to plant other churches. And that, that will necessitate sacrifice in the, in the lives of those people. Um, certainly for those that will leave this context to go to Uganda to plant a church there. There will be much sacrifice. There will be family and friends that are left behind. There will be jobs that will be sacrificed. There will be changes to livelihood. Um, And we want to be prepared for that. We want to be able to respond to that. Not that we go looking for those things per se, but when those things come our way, that we embrace that as a part of Christianity. That to put our faith in Christ oftentimes will lead us to um, a state of loss in some of that obviously the riches and the return is far better than anything that's lost, right? Christ promised his followers that, that those that lose in this life certainly gain in the other. And so um, to even talk about it in terms of what faith costs these people is really from a human standpoint, because ultimately we know um, that these individuals, it tells us, we're looking to a heavenly country, uh, one that doesn't have borders, one that doesn't have uh, ties to this world. Um, that has a different type of foundation. So, um, but, it, but it's important for us to remember as we're living our life that we should expect our faith to cost us at times. Um, number seven, God remembers us, which should lead us to remember him. God remembers us, which should lead us to remember him. You'll remember that... That, uh, chapter 8 starts out with the fact that God remembered Noah and his family. And we said that it wasn't God had forgotten them. It's not that God had, had misplaced them in his busy agenda. It's more the idea that he began to once again actively move. Um, so, in some senses, maybe he had, he had taken a passive approach in that, uh, perhaps Noah had not heard from God. That, that Noah had just been doing what God had told him. He's been sitting on the ark for a year. And now, God once again actively moves in a way that Noah sees him leading and guiding him um, once again, and so God remembers us Topi mentioned it this morning that that Noah remembered God when when he comes off the ark Noah is very intentional to turn him and his family back to uh, a reflection on on what God has just accomplished, and so while God doesn't forget us, we do forget God oftentimes. We allow the noise of our busy schedules to drown out um, who God is and what he's doing in our life. And so it's a it's a call for us to remember. Um, while God doesn't have to remember in the same way we do, it is a reminder that we do need to remember um, and to turn our attention to, to what Christ is doing. And certainly for the head of the households that are represented here, to turn our family's attention um, to what Christ is doing um, and, and the responsibilities that we have in that. Um, we, we reflected too in our C groups hopefully this, this past week uh, that, that when it talks about God no longer remembering our sin um, we could debate as to whether or not God is capable of forgetting but if we think in terms of well he doesn't forget us he remembers us meaning he actively moves towards us that to no longer remember our sin is a comfort to us because what it does entail is that he remembers us but he does not once again actively move towards our sin, that our sin has been dealt with, so there's no reason to remember it. Um, There's no reason to act on it because he acted on it when Christ um, bore his wrath on the cross for us. Uh, Number eight, one of man's primary responsibilities is to value life. We saw this last week, that as Noah and his family come off, there is such a heavy communication about life to Noah and his family, that they're to create life. Right? They're to be intentional about multiplying and, and spreading life, but they're also to protect life. Um, and so that's communicated in the form of capital punishment. It's a reminder to us, life, the life of, of humankind should have great value in our hearts and minds. Um, that we should, we should take advantage of opportunities around us to, to encourage life, to, to protect life, to preserve life. It's why our hearts are so in tune with what is going on at the Coweta Pregnancy Services because it's a way for us to actively promote life and to encourage life. Um, and so we want to, as a church, more opportunities that come our way that are, that are life-focused. We want to be all about that because God was very heavy in his communication to Noah and his family about the value of life um whether it's it's us procreating life through the sharing of the gospel and spiritual life being created through this church or whether it's natural life that's being preserved um we want that to be a core value of what we do here at Sovereign Hope and then lastly uh, God makes promises and keep pro- and keeps promises God makes promises and keeps promises Um, And you see the story culminate with God initiating the covenant, right? So Noah doesn't come off the ark and bargain with God and say, God, what do we have to do to ensure this never happens again? Noah comes off the ark, looks around probably wide-eyed at what creation looks like now, and God steps in, anticipates the fear that perhaps would have been present in Noah's life. He looks around, sees the horror that this is not what it looked like when we got on the ark, what if this happens again and God steps in and says it won't? That that I'll never do it this way again. And so there's assurance from God. He makes promises. So oftentimes God anticipates the promises that we need. Um, and, and you can see that in the scripture. The promises that are given to us are, are for our assurance purposes. Um, and hopefully you were encouraged, hopefully you got the chance in your C group to reflect on some of the never promises that God makes. Um, so encouraging to me to be thinking on those recently you know god says i 'll never flood the earth again, but there's so many other things that God says He will never do, and so a lot of times we're we 're quick to point out the things that God promises to do, um, but it 's just as important for us to reflect on the things that God says He will never do um, and, and maybe you 've even had chances to to hear other people in your life make never promises this week. I said something that somebody called me out on this week, and I uh, reminded me that even if I say i 'll never do this." there's still the chance that I will. Um, And when God makes never promises, they're they're something that we can really cling to, and they can be very encouraging um, to us. So those were the things that really stood out to me recently, that, that Noah's story is historical and miraculous, that we are to learn from Noah's story, that it's not just to increase our knowledge, but it should have big impact on how we live our life now, knowing that the stage is being set for a very similar event Um, That there's comfort in Noah's story, that God does act in history to deal with sin, um, that his judgment is always for the purposes of salvation, man's righteousness is always based on the work of God, um, that it has nothing to do with our own efforts, um, that man's faith oftentimes uh, is shown through what it costs, that God remembers us, we should remember him. One of our primary responsibilities is to value life, and then God makes promises and keeps promises. And so... Um, In light of Jesus and Peter, New Testament writers telling us to remember the story of Noah, I thought it would be helpful for us this morning to remember some of the things about the story of Noah that we've been discussing um, as a point of application for us this morning. Which leads us to transition into um, how we typically conclude our application Sundays, and that's with a time of reflection um, on the Lord's Supper, and I think it's relevant for us today and um, in the concept of remembering that we once again turn our attention uh, to what Christ has accomplished for us. And in the same way that Noah set aside time to to give thanks and to remember, we want to do that um, this morning as well. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to draw your attention once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where um, Paul is giving instructions to the church at Corinth about the Lord's Supper and Um, its significance and meaning in the life of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to highlight the fact that that part of the reason we do this is for our own remembrance. Um, It's a teaching tool. It's It's a way for the church to to remind uh, its members uh, once again of what Christ has accomplished for us. Because again, if we're not careful, we get so busy that we fail to reflect on the most important things in life. The fact that Christ has come to live a perfect life, that Christ has come to die a sacrificial death, and that one day, one day, Lord willing, soon, Christ is coming to give new life. Um, a, a life that is far better than what Noah and his family got to experience. We talked about it being a type of resurrection for Noah and his family. The world has been cleansed. We get to reset and start anew. And yet what we find very quickly is that sin is still present. That, that the flood could not wash sin away. That only the blood of Christ could wash sin away. And so Christ comes even as a, as a better type of flood Um, Where water could not wash away sin, Christ's blood comes and and floods into our hearts and washes us clean and and washes us anew. Um, And so we celebrate that this morning. We celebrate the death. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We celebrate that it also means our own resurrection, um, that own hope that we have that um, that the the flood of sin will end one day completely um, and that Christ will come again to rule and to reign and to usher us in. To eternity, and so today, I and mean, just as a reminder, so that you understand our core beliefs about the Lord's Supper here uh, today, what we partake of has has no uh, no bearing on our salvation. It doesn't uh, keep us saved. Doesn't add to our salvation. Certainly is not a tool uh, to earn our salvation. It's a uh, it's a tool of remembrance. Um, it's a it's a tool of remembrance for us uh, to stop and to pause and to reflect and to give thanks. In the same way Noah and his family gave thanks that they were spared from judgment, we too give thanks. Um, as they surrounded around and, and, and gathered wood from a, uh, from, a torn, from a torn earth from the floods, uh, we gather around uh, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ represented in the juice and the bread, and we celebrate the fact that we are being carried through God's judgment in a greater arc. In Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate that this morning together. So I'm going to pray and then I would like to invite you to spend some time reflecting personally, just giving some personal thanks, some personal reflection, um, just an opportunity for you to confess sin where it's needed. Um, We certainly don't believe that you should only partake of the Lord's Supper if you if you had a good week spiritually. That we don't clean ourselves up when we come to the gospel, the gospel cleans us. And so this is an opportunity to reflect and to, to confess sin that's maybe being harbored in your own life. This is an opportunity to publicly confess to others um, that, that you're still all in with Jesus Christ. That the decision that you made in years past to put your faith and trust in Christ is still a decision you are actively making today. And that's an encouragement to us. We gather not just for individual reasons today. We gather for corporate reasons to encourage each other. So your presence here, even your, um, even your presence in partaking of the Lord's Supper is an encouragement to me because it reminds me that, that I'm not alone in my pursuit of Christ, that there are others who are laboring side by side with me, fighting sin, pursuing joy in Christ. And so we encourage one another this morning together. So after you've had some time to reflect, I encourage you to partake in the back. The way that we do it here is you tear from the bread. We want to symbolically show that we are all saved from the same Jesus Christ. And so um, we pull from the bread and we dip in the cup and then you can find your seat once again. There's some song sheets in the back that we'd invite you to partake and to take with you um, as Tyson will be leading us in some uh, opportunities of reflection and worship as we get ready to close today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you once again as we um, relate the story of of Noah and his family and uh, something that happened so long ago. Father, we thank you that it has such relevance and meaning for us today. Uh, Father, we thank you for the truths that we've been been able to reflect on today and to be reminded of. Father, I pray that um, as we continue our journey through Genesis that we would not leave this account without it changing us. Father, we're encouraged and thankful that you are a God that makes promises. A God who also promises to never do certain things. And we're certainly thankful that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, that as Jesus exits this earth, he, he reminds his disciples that he will always be with his people. So We thank you for those encouraging words. We thank you for the encouraging promises that are found throughout your word. Father, we're thankful that you do remember us; that you are actively involved in our life. God, we pray that we would live in light of your coming our return. And God, as we wait patiently for that, I pray that we would be people who who value life, who encourage life, who contribute to life, who preserve it and protect it. And God, help us to see that human life is so important to you, and so. Um, as our Savior, as our King, uh, your priorities and, and things that you value should also uh, be echoed in our hearts and lives. And so we ask and pray that you would continue to use our church to promote the things that are important to you. And God, as we have time now to, to reflect once again on what's been accomplished on our behalf. As we're being carried through our life currently, as we are in Christ waiting for that coming judgment. In anticipation of that day, we praise you and thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he bore the wrath that we deserve. We thank you that his his blood washes away sin. We're thankful that there was a greater judgment that happened on the cross. That when you looked out and saw man's choices and man's violence, that what man needed was a complete overhaul you provided that through the work of christ and so we thank you that the judgment that was poured out on christ is a sufficient judgment that through the new covenant through the holy spirit indwelling us your heart your your word being written on our heart god we're thankful that you continue to point us to the greater things that are coming father we pray that this morning would be another opportunity for us to pause and to remember both what Christ has already done and what Christ will do for us in the future. And so we partake this morning together, Father, in anticipation of the day when we will no longer partake because Christ has returned. So, Father, our our prayers that the looming return of Christ will continue to encourage us and spur us on as we persevere. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.